So to, to get going, I have a, a question for you. Uh, this is the 18th week, the 18th Sunday that Village Church East has met together. That's pretty awesome. I mean, this is new. Imagine an 18-week-old baby, okay? Like, it's still young, right? It needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of care. It needs a lot of TLC. It's a good thing. This is, this is actually one of the most precious moments in the season of a church plant. So I want to fast forward a year. I want you to go with me one year in your mind, and you get to ask Jesus to do something in, through, or for Village Church East, what would you ask him? What is your dream for the future? What is something Jesus could do for this church? Now, open conversation. I'm not just going to talk. You get to talk now. What are some things you would love to see? What are some of your dreams for Village Churches? Go for it. Everybody wants. Okay. So what? let's just pause, right? You want a permanent home, right? Um, so, uh, Tony, rumor has it you're responsible for setting up and tearing down all of the shenanigans that happened. It's a little biased, right? He's like, I would really love to have a permanent space. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what time do you get here every single Sunday morning? 7 a.m. 7, 7 and church starts at 11? Yep, that's four. That's, isn't that awesome? Guys, that's, that's amazing. Um, it's not easy. You probably need more people too, right? Yep, preach. There we go. Uh, we're going to talk about serving next week. Uh, Mark, you, you said something. Yeah, more people coming to Christ. So Jesus has promised to build his church. And I know that like our desire of Village Church East is to see people genuinely meet Jesus. Some of you, you're here and you may not even be a Christian and you're just trying to figure all these shenanigans out. Like, who are these people? They're kind of weird. There's a pastor. I totally get it, right? But like some of you are here because you, you maybe sense that God is drawing you. And this is, why, this is why churches exist. This is one of the primary reasons. Jesus said, go make disciples. And so, yeah, like, it would be amazing if in one year from now, um, you doubled in size. Did you know that Village Church East has more than doubled in size in the 18 weeks since it started? Isn't that cool? Imagine what could happen in the next 18 weeks. What else? Kathy, I think you said something. Permanent location, do you see a theme? What else? What are some dreams that you have for Village Church East? Engage the community more, right? Um, so in Bartlett, it took us a long time to build a, a relationship with, with the community of Bartlett. Um, but you guys even seem to be able to do this even more quickly than we were. And this is one of the most special relationships that you can have because if your city likes you, you can get a lot more done uh, for the sake of Jesus. But um, this, that's a really, really awesome. That's awesome. What else? What's that? Live TV? <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, so, like, we'd be on TV? Simulcast. Simulcast. There we go. Hey, you know what? Craig has the best hair of anybody I've ever met. So he deserves to be produced and to be... Yeah, I like that. That's good. What else? I like it. That was good. A permanent worship leader. Absolutely. So um, we have Andy who's serving with us, and then we've got a couple, like, people in and out. We send people from Bartlett over, uh, but to have somebody who is your worship leader, right? And that's, that's one of the things we're praying for, and that's exciting. Yeah, that's good. What else? You could say your own youth group, but you just started that. Chris, good job, man. That's awesome. Thank you for taking leadership in that, by the way. It's awesome. You guys can applaud for that. That's good. That's like, are we happy? Everyone. <laughs> what else? What would you love to see God do? What's that? Couples Bible study. Absolutely. Yeah, to have, something, to have something that is specifically for Village Church East. Um, a lot of the studies that we do are Village Church East and Bartlett together. And so to be able to build some of your own studies that are for your people, absolutely, that'd be amazing. Yeah, what else? Stronger presence of uh, living life together. Yeah, 
some more opportunities together, um, and whether it's in homes or if you had a facility that could facilitate that. That was a good use of facility. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just stronger sense of community, which is interesting because when a church starts, right, this is what binds you together. But as time, as time goes on and you minister together and you serve together, the sense of community grows. So I would expect that 18 weeks from now, your experience of community is going to pretty radically transform. What else? We'll do one more. Who's got Yeah. More events? Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I love about events is that if they're done well, uh, events are great first opportunities for people to connect to a church. Here, here's an interesting reality that you may not be aware of. Some things are shifting in terms of how people relate to non-Christians and the conversations that happen like between neighbors. Um, it is often easier for someone to, for a Christian to invite a non-Christian neighbor to church than it is to have a spiritual conversation. And so um, sometimes before somebody will even come to a church, they'll come to an event. And so these actually become a, a way of having spiritual conversations. You come to church, the pastor starts a conversation about something really controversial, which I'm gonna do today. It's gonna be great, you're gonna love it. Um, and then you guys leave and now you actually have a common um, discussion, a common experience, have a, a real discussion about spirituality and God, absolutely. All right, so I, I wanna share with you um, a couple of my my dreams. Um, you guys have already said this one. Um, I would love to see more people meet Jesus through Village Church East. I mean, this is why, this is when Craig and I got together and we prayed about whether or not we, this was what the Lord wanted for us. This was our desire. Our desire is to see people meet Jesus. Number two um, would be that you guys would have your own building. And here's, here's the second part of this dream for me is that you would change your name to Village Church of and so one of the things that we've been wondering and praying is, is Carol Stream where God's going to have Village Church East long term? If it is, then doggone it, we're going to figure out how to change our name there. Or if you end up in Winfield or Bloomingdale, whatever the Lord wants, it's up to him. He gets to ultimately choose. And oftentimes the facility after this is going to determine that. But I'm really excited for you guys to have a place that's a little more permanent and then a name that reflects that. Because if I'm hearing Village Church East, I'm like, East compared to what? Right, and uh, you guys stand on your own apart from Village Church of Barley. You are Village Church East, and this is um, a really beautiful thing. Here's one thing that I would love to see. I look forward to the day when Craig is able to hire another pastor because the shepherding needs are growing larger than what he's able to provide for. That would be a really meaningful, I think, really beautiful thing to see happen. Um, here's my here's my last one. Um, to watch you, Village Church East plant another village church. Um, to have, the, for the Lord to give you the opportunity and the vision to see a need someplace else and for you to do for another community what's happened here. Uh, for you to build another church so that the kingdom of Jesus through the local church will continue to grow. So here's my question. What stands between you and that vision that you just shared with me? Four things. Number one, God's favor. If God doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen, right? Um, you want God's favor. You want God to be like, I like these people. I'm in support of what they're doing. I want to build a church in Carroll Stream. I want to use this group of people to do it. Like, this is a good thing. You want God's favor. Number two, you need great leadership. Um, I hired Craig personally, and I hired him because I trust him and because I love him, uh, and, and for Craig to represent Village Church was a very serious thing for me personally and for our elders, and you have genuinely great leadership, not just that, your directors, um, just the, the structure that's going on here, it's really been awesome to watch and to watch people grow and be transformed. Like, this is a requirement, and as we're looking at Village Church East, like, we genuinely see all the foundations of really, really good leadership. Number three is a healthy culture. 
Um, I will not ask if any of you have ever experienced unhealthy church culture, but let me tell you what does not happen in unhealthy church cultures. Happiness, joy, growth, productivity, mission, the gospel being proclaimed um, outside of the four walls of the church. Healthy culture is essential. I love coming into Village Church East and being here. You guys are so kind. You're so responsive. Um, This is one of the most precious things that you have and that you guys have the opportunity to not just protect, but to build is a healthy culture in this place. But here's number four. And this is, um, unfortunately, the one thing that is standing between much of where Village Church East is and the future, and that is money. Uh, How many of you have ever been in a sermon on giving? How many of you hate sermons on giving? Not me. I love them. I think they're great. So let me, let me just tell you my experience, by the way. So Village Church of Barlet, um, I've preached uh, like over 20, maybe 30 sermons on giving. And Village Church of Barlet is awesome because they're like, they applaud it. They love it. They invite it. I have people come up to me and they're like, you should do more serving sermons on giving. But so you've heard pastors probably like they don't like doing giving sermons. Hence, I'm here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, uh, but pastors don't like it. I love it because our church has been so well um, responsive to the messages that we give. Um, there's part of the culture of Village Church of Barlet that we just so want to permeate here is an excitement to give God um, our tithes, to see him use this money to grow his kingdom. And so even when we planted this church, um, I think it was fifty or $60,000 um, our church gave in, in one single offering to see this happen because that's how excited Village Church was. Now, here's a, here's a trick. Do you know what the hardest sermons are for, for pastors to give? Serving sermons. You know why? I mean, I preach on serving. I'll have women crying. I have many new people coming to Village Church. They've never heard God's word on this. And these four components um, to seeing your vision become a reality, this is a pretty vital one. I mean, you can have all the rest, but if you, you don't have money, these lights aren't turning on and they're going to kick us out of here pretty quickly. And so here's our desire, though. I want you to catch this, right? Most people want to make as much money as they budget. We want to have 10 to 20% above budget because this is the margin room. The reason Village Church of Bartlett was able to plant Village Church East is because our giving was 10 to 20% above our budget. This is what you want in your personal finances. This is what you want in church finances. Church finances um, need to give you breathing room so you can respond to whatever the Lord wants for you. So if the Lord came to you and he said, Village Church East, I want you to do X, Y, or Z, are you financially prepared to do it? You may have the leadership and the favor and the culture, but if you don't have the funds, then you're not going to be able to do it. And so one of my goals today is to help you guys see the reality, see what's going on, but just to share with you as a brother in Christ, as a pastor, um, what God's heart is for you guys. I wanted to personally actually just hear some of your vision. It was really good for me um, um, to hear that. And so here's what we're going to do. Let's um, get into um, this message. I want to share with you the principle on the front end. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this probably 30 times, maybe 40 or 50. It's called the first fruits principle. It goes like this. Jesus expects your best and your first for his mission. Jesus expects your best and your first for his mission. Awesome. Over and over again, you're going to leave here. There will be no question what I'm saying to you in any way, shape, or form. So let's answer four questions. Before we do that, I need to tell you something really important about preaching from the Old Testament. Because much of what we're going to talk about is an Old Testament holiday, feast festival that God instituted for the Jewish people. So when a pastor gets up and he talks about especially money from the Old Testament, your radars need to be up because um, a bunch of hooligans are going to get up and try to preach stuff to you that isn't true. And so I want to give you four or three things that you need to do when you, when you hear sermons on the Old Testament. Uh, number one, you need to know this. You, as a Christian, 
are no longer under Old Testament law. So God created the nation of Israel, and he gave this nation a law, 613 commandments, right? Um, And these laws are explicitly for the nation of Israel. When Jesus came, he abolished the law. He set aside the law, and there was a new law. Now, here's like a pop quiz for you. If I were to say to most Christians, are you responsible for following the Ten Commandments? Most Christians would say, of course. But are the Ten Commandments Old Testament law? The answer is yes, by the way. Say yes. Yes. So am I now no longer responsible for following the Ten Commandments? Well, technically, no. The reason we teach on the Ten Commandments is because they're reiterated in the New Law, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. The old law is done. There is a new law. It's like if you go from Canada uh, to America, (laughs) and... uh, And so here's what happens, right? You have similar laws, but they're different. And when you leave Canada, you are no longer under Canadian law. You're under American law, but there's similarity, right? So don't murder, don't murder. Those are both in Canada and America, right? But if I murder somebody in America, I am not responsible under Canadian law for that. I'm responsible under American law. And so here's what you have to understand. You are not under Old Testament law. You are under the New Testament, which has a different set of, we'll say, rules and regulations. But point number two, Old Testament law reveals God's values. Uh, When you see every law, every law reveals the values of the lawgiver. So if I say to you, do not murder, that communicates to you that I have a high value for human life. It's not an accident that there's a lot of continuity between what the New Testament teaches and what the Old Testament teaches. So if I say to you, do not steal, it means because I have a very high value for personal ownership of property. That's a high, that is a Judeo-Christian fundamental value. Uh, If I say, do not commit adultery, it's because I value sexuality the context of marriage. And so the Old Testament law is great to study because we see the heart of God in it. We see in every feast and every festival, we see the heart of God. And finally, number three, when somebody teaches in the Old Testament, it has to point us to Jesus. The Old Testament, the law exists as a big fat blinking arrow throughout history to point to Jesus Christ. So when you read the Old Testament, when a preacher gets up, here's what you want to see. You want to see him run to the cross at the end of this and show you how Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And so that's my goal in this is to help you understand um, God's heart and God's value. And I also want to show you how Jesus fulfills this. So let's talk about first fruits. We're going to answer four questions and then we'll be done. Sound good? We've got an hour and a half left. We can do this. That was a joke. You all know I can preach long, but I told Craig, today is going to be a short sermon, I promise. All right. In the Old Testament, what is first fruits? First fruits was a, is a holiday, an annual Jewish holiday where they would come together in the early spring, March, April, our time, if you will. Uh, it was two days after Passover, and it was right as all of the grains and everything was producing its first fruit. Do you get that, right? So it's the first fruit of all the stuff they planted in the fall. And so Exodus 23, 19 says this, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It's interesting the Old Testament avoids giving language because in their paradigm, in their worldview, we don't give God anything, really. Everything we own is God's, and so God is setting up stipulations and rules and saying, here's the deal. Um, You have all this money, all this grain, all this whatever. Your job is, this is how I want you to handle what I'm giving to you that is on loan to you. You bring the first, and you bring 
the best. And what we're going to see here is that this is not just a principle that is under law. It, it happened before the law, and it happens after the law. God, when you come to Jesus Christ, he wants you to reorient your life and your money and your sexuality and your marriage and your relationship and your stuff and your service and your time. And here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to step back and say, um, God, I'm going to give you my first, my best for your mission. This is the first fruits principle, which is made sort of official, if you will, under Old Testament law, but it's bigger than Old Testament law. It's what God asks of us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we say, Yahweh, God, you are our God. I'm going to give you my first and my best, and I'm going to do this for your mission. Um, actually, as we said, this uh, first fruits principle happened even before the law. So go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Do you guys remember Cain and Abel? Um, who was the murderer? Say Cain, good job, Cain, awesome. Yeah, Cain is the bad guy, Abel's the good guy. And so in Genesis 4, 3 to 4, it says this, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now here's the question, does that look like a good thing? The answer is, of course it does. If you were God, you'd be like, oh, that's adorable. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, right? God wasn't really excited, so he goes on, and here's what happens. And Abel also brought the, say it with me, Firstborn. It's really interesting because from the very beginning, this idea of first, right, this idea of first sets apart acceptable and unacceptable offerings. He says, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And here's the deal. The Lord had regard for it. Now, the issue here has nothing to do with whether or not he gave him produce or animal. The issue is whether it was the leftovers or it was the first. And here's what, here's what Cain functionally did. Cain said, eh, for me, mine, mine, mine. Here's what I have left over, God. Here you go. And at the very beginning, in the first offering, the first tithe, if you will, ever given, God's like, yeah, not, that's not how this whole thing works. I want your first, I want your best, and I want it for my purposes. That's, that's how this works. And so the response here is the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. I mean, can you understand? You give God, think about this, my money that I worked for, and you are not going to accept my gift? Who do you think you are? You understand the frustration, right? Could you imagine if like, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to put in a $10 bill this week, right? And God's like, nope, don't want it. Keep it. Like, that, that would be very frustrating. That would infuriate a lot of people. You can empathize. I want to give you an illustration. I think that's going to help you understand this. I want you to imagine you have a nice car. And you and your wife or your husband, your spouse, you're going on vacation. And your friend calls you and says, hey, uh, we need a car. Could we borrow your car while, we are on, while you're on vacation? So with a little bit of nervousness, you say, you know what? It's the Lord's car. You can have it. You can borrow it. And then you look at your friend. We're going to call them Jamie and Jenny, okay? So you look at Jamie and Jenny, and you say, I just have one request. Would you pick us up from the airport when we get back from vacation? Easy request, right? You get back from vacation. You're a little nervous. You're like, what do they do to my car? You get in the car. They pick you up, and everything looks great. You're like, this is amazing. There's no dents. There's no dings. It's cleaner than when you gave it, than when you left, right? You get in the car, and here's what's supposed to happen, right? They're supposed to drive to their house so you can drop them off and then you drive your, your car to your home, right? They get in the car and they say this. Hey, um, Jenny and I, we've been praying, and we really have felt strongly from the Lord that we want you to use this car one week out of the month. 
and you're like, um, excuse me, it's my car. Um, can you please go to your house so I can drop you off and drive my car to my home? I don't think you understand. We've really been praying about this, and um, we, we really believe that God wants you to be able to use this car for one week out of an entire month, and uh, we thought you'd be really happy at the graciousness of the Lord to let you use this car. And, and your response is like, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Like, get out of my car. We're going to your house, and I'm going to drive my car back into my home. But I think this is how God feels all the time. God gives us all of this stuff, all of it. Everything you have is from God. He owns everything. He, everything is on loan to us. And we're like, how much of my money should I give to you? And he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not yours. You're borrowing this from me. Like, I, I am coming home, and I'm going to pick you up, right? And, and I'm going like, to take my stuff, okay? You don't get to tell me how this is going to be used. And yet, this is how Christians approach generosity and tithe. And we say, it's my money, God. What's the least I can do? I've already played... I've already paid my mortgage. I've already paid my debt off. I've already paid my interest off. Uh, you know, I'm going to go on another vacation. I can't really have a lot of money to give this year because my kids need a big vacation to a foreign country. Uh, God, I have 100 bucks left over. You can have it, right? And God's like, I'm sorry. I thought I articulated pretty clearly that it's my money. And this is how I want it spent. And I think this is how a lot of Christians perceive it. And what I'd love to do with most Christians is say, how you see your stuff and your money and your kids and your time and everything, we need to invert this and say everything we have, even our lives, are on loan to us. And our first question is not, what's the least I can give back to God, but what does he ask? And he says, you're first and you're best for his mission. It's not comfortable, it's not easy, but it's real. And then here's what happens when you do it. You are happier. I think this is actually one of the most compelling things. Like, I have yet to meet somebody who has tithed regularly and served regularly who has said, I regret giving my money and my time to the local church. But I have met many people who at the very beginning have had a hard time doing it, for sure, myself included. I remember when I first learned how to tithe, it was gut-wrenching, it was difficult, it was frustrating. I found every excuse to postpone doing it. I found every excuse to give the least amount I could, even though I knew what God's word says. Like my love of money in my own heart um, won out the day, unfortunately, for many years, even while I was a pastor at a young age. And so like, this is a very real challenge. And yet, when I start talking to people who get through that initial difficulty, they're like, like literally it has been one of the most freeing and encouraging and beneficial things I have ever done. All right, question number two, what was given in first fruits? Exodus 23, 19 says this, the best <laughs> of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So it's the best of everything, oil, wine, grain, flocks, fleece, honey, produce. And here's what I love about first fruits. First fruits was not a 10% offering. So the Jewish people also had a 10% tithe. That is separate, okay? It seems that the New Testament model of giving is really based off of first fruits. It was called a free will offering, which here's what it meant. What percentage is what you want to know? And God would say, pray about it. How much do you want to give? All, all I require is that when you do give, it is the first, and it is the best, and it's for his mission. And so at that point, you can say, well, I could give 20% or 30% or 2%. That's not the point. The point is, before you do anything else, you would give first fruits. And somebody might say, that, that is, that's too much. That's too personal. Like, it's, I can't, how, why would I give my best to God? And here's what I would just come back and tell you, because he said so. 
that is one of the hardest responses to hear. But sometimes your dad and your mom, they got to come in and you're like, I don't want to do this. We do not know what's good for us. I don't know if you've realized that. Like, look at the state of humanity. Humanity is like, I'm going to do this. And God's like, ah don't do that. So my wife and I, my wife runs a counseling center and we have this saying, right? And it's do the opposite. Because I would say 99% of the advice that I give is, okay, you're doing this, do the opposite, right? Because intuitively how we think, how we feel, we call it our thinker, our wanter, our picker, um, they're all broken. Um, I pick the wrong things and I have to look at my kids. I'm like, oh, you're doing that? Do the opposite. And so there's this inclination that you have when it comes to your money. And what I can say for most of you is do the opposite. Because like a kid, you don't know what's best for you. The designer, God, infinite in wisdom and knowledge and righteousness says, this is how I've designed you. I have designed you to be generous. I've designed you to tithe. I've designed you to serve. I've designed you to give your first and your best for the mission of God. And as you do that, you begin to come alive. And yet we say, I didn't like the way the pastor said that. So I'm not going to do it. You will find every excuse from the way I dress to how I said it to not be generous after this sermon, all right? You will say, my money can't handle it. My finances can't handle it. I don't really know if the church is ready for it. I mean, there's a billion reasons you have for it. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just, your dad, your mom, they got to sit down with you and say, because I said so, deal with it and figure it out. And that's kind of what God had to do with me. Like I was holding it back. And I'm like, but I could, but I could, but this, but that. And he's like, Michael, grow up. You know what my word says. Now, there's some of you here, you don't know what God's word says. And so my grace and my patience is so high. Um, some of you are in debt up to your eyeballs. You don't have any margin whatsoever. You're trying to figure out, how would I even begin, to this, begin this process? And I have a lot of empathy. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Question number three, how were first fruits given? I know this is going to sound really redundant, but firstly... <laughs> I won't do anything until I do this. Leviticus 23, 14 says, you shall, you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh until, the, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. Firstly, I mean, this was the rule. You don't eat, you don't go on vacation, you don't pay your mortgage until you do this. So I'll tell you how in my home, um, this is absolutely transformed. So when I had to write checks or give cash, I gave erratically and sporadically. And then I found out my bank had this genius thing called auto bill pay, right? And so I put my tithe on auto bill pay. And I was like, this is amazing. I never had to think about it. I never had to think twice. I didn't go back and change it. I just walked away and it, it automated it for me. I need automation, right? Um, I don't know about y'all. I, I don't use cash. I don't like checks, right? I just want all my currency to be digital. That's all I want. That's all I ask, right? I guess it's like inviting the Antichrist to come or something. I don't know. But so like that changed my life. And then Village Church, what we did is we started uh, push pay. So now I can actually use my credit card. You know what I love? So some people say I don't use credit cards. I love putting on my credit card because then I get points and I pay it off at the end and I get paid back to tithe. Go figure that one out. And so like there are easy automated ways to do this so that before I do anything else, this just becomes a regular part of my life. Number two, we give it firstly. Number one, frequently, as often as you have provision. So I get paid twice a month, so I tithe twice a month. Exodus 22, 29, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. As there is overflow, as there is new income, as there is new money, as there is a new influx, you stop at each one of these seasons and you say, okay, I'm going to give God my first, my best, 
for his mission. If you were a farmer, in fact, I had a, a good pastor friend who said all of their tithes came at one time every year because all of their harvest came in at once. They sold it all at once, and that was all of the money they had to live for the entire year. And so all at once, their tithe would come in one time a year, and they would get this huge chunk of money, and they would live as a church and as families off of this money for the entire year. But that's how you give is frequently. And number three is prayerfully. First fruits was a free will offering. It meant you, you had to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? In the New Testament, um, they seem to pick up this principle of free will offering. Second Corinthians chapter nine, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Uh, he says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's what I tell people. If you don't want to give, don't give. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. Um, I personally love preaching from this perspective. I don't use guilt, um, and I have no authority or control over what you do. I'm never going to see how much you give. Uh, I'm never going to see anything you do behind the scenes. Um, Craig is probably not going to see what you give. He's not going to be like, oh, they increase giving. Craig sees totals. and That's what he sees. Uh, but he does not see family giving units, et cetera. There's a bunch of stuff he does not see. So he's really not going to know the difference. And this is really about you and the Lord. Um, you, you may give 2%. Some of you may give 30%. That's not on us to judge right now. My desire is just to put this before you and to trust you to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit move you uh, to the amount that he would want you to give. Uh, so we do this prayerfully. Here's a good uh, application for this. Um, you might be married. So husband and wife go into a room and each of you pray about it and write down a percentage of your income and then don't tell each other. Write it down in a piece of paper and then share the paper and whoever was more generous, that's how much you give. That would be a funny little, little <laughs> tip for you. But number four is how were first fruits given? Curmudgingly? Like, ah, here's my first fruits, right? No, God created this to be a festival, a feast, a celebration. Like, this is supposed to be a happy event. And the New Testament picks up this theme of the free will, cheerful, prayerful offering. And it says this, God loves a cheerful giver. If you feel constrained to give because you think I'm guilting you, like, you're, you're missing the boat here. Um, this is an opportunity for you to give cheerfully. But here's what I've learned about cheerful giving. Uh, people give cheerfully, um, oh, you become cheerful over time. The first offering that you give is painful, okay? The second one, it's still painful, but it's a little less. And it takes like sometimes two or three or four months until you realize like, oh, this is good. I didn't die and God is pleased and the kingdom of God is moving forward and this will be the greatest investment that I ever make that, it, that gives me eternal dividends and rewards. Like this is genius. This is awesome. Happily. God, Jesus expects your best and your first for his mission. Why was it commanded? Two reasons. Number one, to remember the source of their wealth. So the Jews were slaves in Egypt. 400 years, they wanted freedom. And the first Passover um, was celebrated, their last night in Egypt. And after Passover, they plundered the Egyptians as God brought them out. They took their gold and their money and their stuff. I mean, they just plundered these people. And they're running for their lives. And the Egyptians get their head together. And they're like, you know what? We're going to kill all of them. So a million plus people, um, slaves for 400 years, just plundered the Egyptians. And they come toe to toe, face to face with the Red Sea. And Passover has just been celebrated, and here's what happens. They're sitting there with all of this stuff, and they see the Egyptians coming, and they're like, we're going to die. Who cares if we die with all this stuff? 
And then crossing the Red Sea happened on first fruits. They, God opens up the Red Sea. They get to the other side with all of this plunder and all of this stuff that they did not work for. The waters close on the Egyptians. They all die. They are freed. And here's what God wanted them to remember. Everything you have, I gave to you. And even when in the future you work hard for it, remember this. I gave you that ability. Remember the source of your wealth. The reason we give God our first and our best for his mission is so that we never forget that everything we have or ever will have comes from him and his blessing. But number two, we do this to remember our salvation. When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, here's what they remembered is they looked at all their stuff and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and they stepped back and they remembered this. If God had not intervened, we would be dead. And every time they give their first fruits, they are reminded, not only has God given us the stuff but he's given us our lives and everything that we have. So what? Why should I do this? Let me try to compel you as we close. To be blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? Yeah, I want to be blessed, right? Uh, I want God's favor. Like, I want God to be like, oh, I'm going to give you more. I want to give you more righteousness. I want to make you happy. Like, these are things we want. Let's be honest. Like, this is a good thing. Uh, The book of Proverbs, chapter 3, says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, right? This is a principle, by the way, that goes always. You have wealth, you honor him. Now, in in the Old Testament context, he says this, and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And then he says this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Just pop quiz. If you give more money, is God going to make you rich? Please say no. No, no thank you. If, you if, if, if you give more money, is God going to make you rich? No. If somebody on TV says, uh, give a lot of money, plant a seed, I'll give you a little vial of glass and you'll be blessed in that favor on your life and you'll get rich and all your debt will be gone. Are they a liar? And uh, yes, say yes. Okay, good. We're on the same page with that. All right, good. Um, but here's how the New Testament takes the same principle and applies it outside of the Jewish context. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, He, God, who supplies seed to the sower, the person sowing the seed, right, and bread for food, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Okay, do you want to be more like Christ? Do you want to be transformed from the inside out? It's so interesting because Paul directly connects your irrational generosity. By the way, he is speaking about a broke, and I mean broke Macedonian church that has nothing. I mean, they are poor, 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 and in affliction and suffering massively. And these broke people out of this poverty gave incredible amounts of money so that another church across the world could be relieved, right? This is a powerful experience. And here's what he says. That's what the increase will be. And verse 11 says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is a powerful thing. I want to just look at you and say, like, do you want God's favor and blessing on your life? And I don't mean financial. I just mean that righteousness would grow in you. Um, If you are not going to submit your finances to the Lord, that will be withheld to a degree. Number two, uh, some of you are turning back to God. You're in the process or you're considering it. Um, And one of the first things that you see when someone turns back to God is that you turn back not just with your metaphorical heart, but with your sexuality, with your money, with your time. And so in Nehemiah, the nation was repenting, coming back to the Lord, and here's what they did. They said, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. We will not neglect the house of our God. And so as an act of repentance, they didn't just say the words, they followed up the words with really measurable action. Number three, finally, to display Jesus' faithfulness for generations to come. 
In Exodus 13, there's this awesome story. I want to read this for you. It's really powerful. And when in time, uh, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and from the house of slavery. And here's what he's asking. The dad has just given his first and his best for Jesus Christ or for Yahweh, technically, in this context, okay? And the kid is looking at it and saying, why would you give away to God the best of what you have? The kid is totally confused. And so the dad stops in this moment. And he says, I want to just tell you why we do this. Because by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and from the house of slavery. Go to the next slide. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Your kids know whether or not you're tithed, and if they don't, they should, because you're modeling in your home what is happening with your money. And when your kids go 